praise God for this opportunity again to praise his name. And I want to thank um, all of the people, uh, the praise team, the tech team, all the people that have been working hard this morning and yesterday getting things ready uh, for this service. Um, for those of us who aren't part of that, those work crews, um, it's really nice to bring our chairs and full, unfold them and, and sit down and, and enjoy this time together. And I just, uh, I'm so thankful for the, the many people who worked hard to, uh, to make it possible. Most of all, I want to thank God. As Mark was, was leading us in Thanksgiving um, for God's provision for us that we're able to give, I'm just so thankful for the provision that he's given us of strength and health uh, that we can serve one another um, as we serve Christ. And so thanks each of you for doing that. And uh, those of us who weren't part of those teams, let's, uh, let's thank them right now. Just uh, really appreciate it. If you take your Bibles now and turn to Acts chapter 16, Acts 16 in the New Testament. This is a, a story of how the gospel came to the uh, Macedonian city of Philippi through the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his companion Silas. Verse 16 picks up the story after a number of people had come to faith and things started happening in that city. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, and this is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and uh, he was with the, um, Paul and Silas um, in this uh, situation. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought 
the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. Praise God. What a story of hope in the midst of a real crisis. Paul and Silas' crisis might have been, uh, been even greater than any of our crisis today, or crises today, because I doubt if any of us are just going through one single crisis. But Paul and Silas were going through it that day that night in particular. And it's really, it's really interesting to see the way that they handled their crisis. After being severely flogged, and you, you notice that Luke carefully mentioned that it, it was not just a, a light brushing uh, with the cat of nine tails. It was a severe flogging. It was the kind of flogging that they were gonna need medical attention once they were able to get it. Certainly they got it that night in an, an unexpected way. But they were, they were beaten severely, close to death. Paul, a Roman citizen, for whom it was against the law for them to treat him like that without a trial. But he wasn't down there declaring his rights as a Roman citizen. He and Silas were down in that inner cell that lowest part of the prison, that nastiest place that they could be put in, their feet in stock so they couldn't even move to knock off whatever rodents and insects and stuff were down there and, and they couldn't certainly move for uh, bathroom breaks or anything like that. It was an awful, nasty, terrible place. And there in their suffering as they bled, as they felt pain maybe like they've never felt it before, the Word of God says they were singing and praying. So much so that probably, we don't know this for sure, we'll find this out later, probably the jailer throughout the night had asked them to please shut up so the rest of them could sleep. We don't know for sure they did that, but we do know for sure that he heard what was going on down there. The way that we know that is because after the earthquake took place, the jailer, after he realized that Paul was able to keep all of the prisoners together, and that's a pretty amazing thought right there. The prison doors were open, the chains were off, the stocks were off. People, anybody in that prison could have left, but Paul says, we're all still here. He didn't need to kill himself. He didn't need to, to take himself out because he knew that his authorities would do that 
for him if he didn't do it because a Roman jailer was never allowed to lose a prisoner. It would cost him his life. He knew that. So he was going to go ahead and, and, and do it in a more noble fashion. Paul stopped him. And when he realized that all the prisoners were still there, that his life had been spared, he knew that the next thing he needed to do was ask Paul and Silas if the Jesus that they were singing to, if the Jesus that they were talking about, if the Jesus that they were praying to that night, if he could do something for him. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew he wasn't. Maybe for the first time in his life, he started understanding things. We don't know all the songs that they sang. We don't know all the prayers that they pray, prayed. But we knew that it involved salvation because he knew to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? He knew that there was salvation and he knew that those guys had it. He'd never seen prisoners like this before. He'd never seen people handle a crisis like this before. He'd never seen people handle suffering like this before. He'd never seen people handle injustice like this before. They weren't crying out for their rights. They weren't complaining about their conditions. They weren't complaining about how they were being treated. They were singing praise to their God that they knew personally, that they were talking to directly. There wasn't a priest in the bottom of that, uh, in the bottom of that prison, yet they were still talking to God. They didn't need a priest because they themselves were priests because the moment a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, that person has complete and open access to Almighty God through his Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. That jailer heard all about that that night, and he saw with his very eyes what it meant for a person to believe in Jesus Christ. But he thought there must be something else that he has to do and so he asked them, men, what must I do to be saved? And his answer is everything. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be, not believe and start being nice. Not believe and start going to church. Not Believe and stop smoking. Not believe and quit your job as a jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So many people have, have, have thought they had to add something onto that. A list of rules. Now certainly, the Bible is very, very full of, of laws and rules and guidelines and commands. And all of them are there for a purpose. But none of them are there so that we can be saved. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to deal with your crisis. And that's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who said to his disciples before he was crucified, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul believed that. Oh, he didn't believe it right away. At first, right after Jesus' um, resurrection and, and, and commission of his disciples to go out and make disciples, at first, the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul at that time, 
he spent his time trying to stop the spread of that dangerous message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and then rising again from the dead and then ascending to the Father and, and saving people of their sins by simple faith in him. The Apostle Paul, at that time known as Saul, he was trying to stop that with everything that he had. But on one of his trips to arrest some Christians in Damascus, to bring them back to Jerusalem to face trial, he met the Lord Jesus on the road. And the Lord Jesus, in his brilliance, his post-resurrection, post-ascension brilliance, blinded the eyes of Saul. And he changed his life forever. Because at that moment, Saul, the persecutor of the church, the killer of Christians, the arrester of Christians, the separator of Christian families, Saul said, Jesus, I believe in you. That was a pretty dramatic experience. And lots of people say, yeah, if he did that for me, I'd probably believe too. I want you to know, that's why God has recorded it in his book. So that we can see the things that God has done in a mighty way and believe. Oh, those of us who believe have also seen mighty things happen in our own lives. Have seen amazing things happen. But the word of God is the best place to find the testimonies of the people who were impacted most greatly by the Lord Jesus. The people who learned what it meant to believe in Jesus and that is enough. That is all. I think of the, I think of the old man who met the Lord Jesus when he was just a few days old. In Luke chapter two, there's a man named Simeon. Simeon, a special man, a prophet, that God had communicated directly and said, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And the day that Simeon went into the temple when Jesus was being presented by his parents in dedication, Simeon held that baby and he said, he said in, a, in, in a paraphrased way, he said, I can die now. I can die now because I have seen the Savior. That's it. Just that baby, just that person, that's all Simeon needed, and he knew that. Later on, when Jesus had grown, he began his teaching and preaching ministry, he traveled a lot from Galilee back and forth to Judah, long way. Most of the time, they went across the Jordan to the west, or excuse me, to the east, and went up, and then back to the west, and got in Galilee, because they didn't ever passed through Samaria because Jews didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. But one day in John chapter 4 we read that Jesus, it says, and his disciples were going to Galilee and they had to go through Samaria. They had to. Not, be, not because there wasn't another way to get there. The road, the road around the Jordan wasn't closed. They had to because Jesus had somebody to meet in Samaria. And they got to the Jacob's well near Sychar, and there there was a woman getting water at the well. A woman who had had one crisis after another in her life to the point that she had had five husbands and she was living with another man now who wasn't her husband, and Jesus knew all about it without having met her, and he told her that. 
and he told her that he had come to offer her some water that if she drank of it, she would never be thirsty again. And that is believing in him. That she would receive from him everything that she needed for her life. And she thought to herself, me? You know all about me and you're still offering me this? And so she went to town quickly. And as the disciples who had been in town getting food came back, they said, Jesus, here, you want some food? He said, no, I got food you guys don't know anything about. And they're thinking, what? Somebody else bringing some food out here? No, his food was to let people know that if they believed in him, they would have their, their sins forgiven and they would have eternal life. And the, the, the problems of their lives would be solved. They wouldn't be erased. They wouldn't be completely taken away, but they'd be solved by him. Because see, that woman had a lot of problems. And she went back into that town that hated her, that despised her, that made fun of her, that whispered behind her back, that, that talked about her all the time. She went down to that town and she said, guys, there's a guy out here. He's the Messiah. He knows all about me and he still loves me. Come out and see him. She knew the power of believing in Jesus. Another time in Jesus' ministry, he was invited to a to a, a nice banquet at a Pharisee's house. You, re, you can read about this in Luke chapter 7. And there was a, a woman there at that party who snuck in because she wasn't invited. She, she had led a, a, a life of ill repute. But she believed in Jesus. And to thank him for what he had done for her and forgiving her of her sins and giving her the promise of eternal life. She poured out her most expensive perfume. She poured it on his feet and she wept as she thought of her sin that Jesus had forgiven and she, and she dried his feet with her hair and the people at the party started to talk. This guy can't be a prophet or he'd know who was touching him right now and he'd kick her away. He kick her to the street where she belongs. And Jesus said to Simon, the, the Pharisee that invited him to the party, I came to your party and nobody offered to wash my feet, which was a common custom, especially at a nice party. Nobody offered to wash my feet, but she hasn't stopped weeping and washing my feet with her tears and drying my feet with her hair. Then he made a great statement. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. But those who have been forgiven a lot, love a lot. She loved him. Because he was everything to her. He was the, the one who was going to give her eternal life. He was the one who was going to change the, the crises that she was living in through, through every day of her life. He was the one who was going to change all that for her, for, her, for her. Only Jesus. And on and on and on the stories go. The ten lepers that he met. Jesus, save us. Heal us. He said, go 
go to the priest and wash yourselves. And as they went, their leprosy was taken away from them. And one of them came back and said, thank you, Jesus. Because his life was changed. He believed in Jesus, not a bunch of other things. He believed in Jesus. Right around that same time, Jesus was going into Jericho. In Luke 19, the crowd surrounded him, came to see him, wanted to check out what, who this was. They'd heard all about him. And this little tax collector, most despised of all the people in Palestine, in, in all of Israel, the, the tax collectors, the guys who are working in cahoots with the, with the Romans and ripping them off of all their money. This tax collector, he was trying to budge his way in to see Jesus and nobody would let him. They despised him. They couldn't stand him. So he climbed a tree along the way that Jesus was coming so that he could see Jesus. He'd heard about him. And as Jesus got to that place where Zacchaeus was, he looked up. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus, me? Me? You know who I am? You know what I do? And you love me? And they said, just like about the woman, he can't go there. Does he know who this is? Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, all of these people, starting back to our jailer, in Philippi, they all realized something. There's only one solution to the crises of life. There's only one solution for our rebellion and our sinfulness. There's only one solution to the troubles that we have in marriage. There's only one solution to the troubles that we have with our parents or with our children or with our brothers or with our sisters. There's only one solution to the problems that we have at school. There's only one solution to the trouble that we have at work. There's only one solution to our financial difficulties. There's only one solution to our health problems. There was a woman in a crowd around where Jesus was, and she had a terrible illness that kept her away from everybody in the community. Everybody who knew about her and, her and her problem couldn't touch her because according to Jewish custom, she was unclean. She heard Jesus was in town and she decided that day, regardless of her uncleanness, she was going to go and just find him and just touch him. And the crowd was so great that she just slipped her arm around somebody else and touched the hem of his garment and immediately, the bleeding that she was experiencing stopped. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. And the disciples said, Jesus, like a lot of people have touched you here. This is a, a crowded place. He said, no. Somebody touched me with faith. And they were healed. Because Jesus is the one who takes care of those physical problems.
And we all have them. And we're all going to have them. And he heals some people in miraculous ways like he did that woman that day, like he did the leper. Other people he allows to suffer for quite a long time because of the ministry they can have while they're suffering. Other people, and some of them in both categories, he takes home to glory. At a time when we think, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to him. He knows exactly when is the right time for all of us. We were singing about our, about our own passing earlier in the service. I hope you caught on to that. Strange group that gets together and sings about dying. Well, that's us. Because we know of the victory in our physical death because it results in our resurrection. It results in our entering his glory where he's gone to prepare a place for us. And all of these things are ours only in Jesus Christ. And so whatever other things you're trying to do to alleviate your crises right now, don't forget about Jesus. Don't forget that he not only forgives us of our sins and gives us the promise of a future in his glory, but he is also our provision for right now. He's the one who will solve the dilemma that you're facing right now. He's the one that will provide for you in ways that you have no idea that he could ever do it that way. He's the one that takes care of everything. Does he do it always in the way that we expect, in the way that we want, in the, way that he, in the time that we want? Not always. But as the lover of our souls, as the one who died for us, he knows what is best for us, and he knows exactly how to bring us through to the completion of the work that he's doing in us. That's why Paul was able to write back to the Philippians after he had to leave, after, he, after being jailed and all that, he left town. But he wrote back to them, and he said, I'm confident of this very thing in, in chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, that he who started the work in you will be faithful, and he will complete it. And he has his ways of doing it. And we just need to believe in him and he will take care of it in the way that he wants to take care of it. So, it's 2020. We got lots of problems. Some shared and some unique to ourselves and to our own families. You know what the answer is? Jesus. Call out to Jesus. If you haven't been saved, if you're like the jailer or like Zacchaeus and you haven't believed in him yet, then start that today. You, you don't have to be in a church building. It doesn't matter where you are. In your heart, say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you like the jailer believed in you, like Zacchaeus believed in you like the, the woman of bad reputation believed in you, like the woman at the well believed in you, like Simeon in the temple believed in you. I believe in you. And you will be saved just like the jailer was. And in many cases, although Paul was being, being prophetic, 
In many cases, he'll do for you what he did for the jailer and also bring your family to faith in Christ. If you haven't been saved, put your trust in Jesus. And those of us that have, let's remember, he is our first go-to. When the bottom is falling out of whatever's going on around us, he is our go-to man because he is our savior. He loves us and he is the one who's committed himself to grow us and to use us for his glory. Turn to him, brothers and sisters in Christ. Turn to Jesus. Call out to him for help like the lepers did, like the woman who touched his garment did. Turn to Jesus first and all, and second and third and always. He is who and what we need. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.